Thank you. If you have a copy of God's Word, please take it and turn with me to the book of 1 John, chapter 1. I want to deliver a message this morning entitled, A Jesus Church. A Jesus Church. A Jesus-driven church. A Jesus-purposed church. You say, well, pastor, that's kind of weird. Isn't every church a Jesus church? No, friend, unfortunately, not every church is a Jesus church. You can go to a church in this very city right now and never hear the name of Jesus ever mentioned. Never hear the gospel preached. Never hear the Bible even open and read. Now, I'm not setting up some straw man argument here to simply knock it down. No, it it truly breaks my heart, but, but I'm afraid that too many churches today have lost their mission. So many churches today have lost their focus. They're all about having a large crowd and not about building a church. And so let me say at the forefront of this message today that I believe that Aloma is a Jesus church. Here we preach Jesus, we teach Jesus, we love Jesus here. And my prayer is that if we ever stop being a Jesus church, that God himself will close these doors. Aloma, we must be a Jesus church. Now, there's things that I believe that the Scripture teaches in order for a church to be a, a church centered on Christ. We have named several of them already, preaching Jesus and teaching Jesus and loving Jesus. But one of the things that, that is paramount for a church to be a church, for a, a church to love Jesus, is a church must fellowship together. In order to love Jesus, you must first love others. And to love Jesus, you love others. Love others, you must love Jesus. This word fellowship. Now it's a word, this word fellowship, it may sound a little aged, a little antiquated to some here this morning. It may not be a word that we use in our regular conversation from day to day, but it is a very important word for the Christian. It's a Bible word. In fact, the word fellowship in the language of the New Testament, the word koinonia, is a word which uniquely describes the fellowship of the Christian family. It describes the fellowship that we have with God and then we have with others. Designated specifically for the people of God. Now it matters because it's impossible for us to be a growing, dynamic, spirit-filled Christian apart from fellowship with other believers. Did you hear that? It is impossible for us to grow in our faith if we separate ourselves from the fellowship of other believers. The first century church was ignited and united by the Holy Spirit of God. They turned the world upside down. And one of the primary reasons why that happened was because of the sweet fellowship that they had. The supernatural fellowship they experienced and they enjoyed and that they shared with others. I hear so many Christians today that say, I don't need to go to church. I, I can do church at home. Have you, ever, have you ever heard that one? We can be the church wherever we go. We can do it solo because I heard the preacher say one time that the church isn't a building. I'm the church. So wherever I go, I'm the church. 
I don't want to be the bearer of bad news, but if that's what you think, friend, then you need to go back and read your Bible again. In essence, yes, we are the church. The church is not a building. The church is individuals. Jesus said this. The, the new covenant, the new testament is that the, the spirit of God will no longer dwell in, in a house made by the hands of man, but it will be, it will dwell in the house of the hand, the, the house that were made by the hands of God, us. As Christians, we are the temples of the Holy Spirit. We are the church. As, as wherever we go, yes, in a sense, the church goes with us. But it is preposterous to think that we can do church by ourselves. That's not possible. Ecclesia, the word church in Greek, ek is, it's a compound word like fire truck. It's a compound word, ecclesia. Ek means out of. Klesia from the Greek word kaleia, which means to call out. And so what he calls the church, the church, the body of believers, are those who are called out of the world. God did not create us to be solo individuals. God did not create us to, to just to be in our own atmosphere and not have anybody around us. God created us to be relational. We are relational beings and God created us as such. We live in this new generation. <laughs> What's happening in our country today is unique to our generation. So many things that happen in our present are repeats of history. But what we're seeing right now take place in this generation, I cannot find happening in any other generation but our generation. This me generation. I love my iPhone. I preach from an iPad. But we live in this I generation. This me generation. And what I believe that when we come to the Bible, we don't see I, 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 me, 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 but we see we, 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 and us, us, us. We, we've so cut ourselves off from others that, that we're beginning to see a trend that is very scary. If we continue to see what is happening right now in the church world. And like I said, I, I, I'm a student of history. I've never seen this before. As, as we look at history, I've never seen this before. But if we continue to see the trend in churches in Florida, the, erg, the organized church as we know it will not be in existence in a few years from now. The average church member in the state of Florida, do you know how often they attend? Once a month. That's 12 times a year. And what's startling is that is exactly 50% less than only a decade ago. Church membership and, and church attendance has, is no longer important. This is a problem. This is an issue. So what has changed? Has the gospel changed? Well, no. Has the Bible changed? Well, no. Has our culture and our country become so good that we don't need to come to church? Well, no. <laughs> so what's changed? 
If God hasn't changed, his word hasn't changed, and, and, and we've not become so good that we don't need church anymore, then, then what has changed? I submit to you that it is us. We have changed. We've allowed culture and, and influence to affect us to the point that we simply, by me simply making the statements that I am making right now, it is causing some who are listening to me to become agitated. Preacher, you don't understand my schedule. You don't know what all I have to do. Listen, friend, we're all busy. We all have a full schedule. We all battle similar foes and similar enemies. All I am simply pointing out is what the Word of God says. Thus saith the Lord. And listen. This is something we need to hear. And on the flip side is that we need to be encouraged because God does smile down and God does bless those who live according to his word. And God wants to bless the world through his church. Did you hear that? God wants to bless the world through his church. This is the auspice in which God has chosen to bless the world. God uses the church, the bride of Christ. We just sang about it in all of the worship songs that we just sang. The the, the church, the, the bride of Christ, God uses us. God uses us to bring blessing and also condemnation to the world. Church is not a bad thing. In fact, when the church operates as she should according to Scripture, the Bible says not even the gates of hell will be able to prevail against the church. And so we look at the early church. It was their connection together. They, they were able to provide a united front and with one prayer, with one passion, with, with one purpose, with one power, they were able to change the world. They weren't divided, but they were together. On one occasion, they were all together in one place, in one room, and the Spirit of God began to move among them, and the place that they actually stood began to shake. They, 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 they were praying. The Spirit filled them, and God anointed them, and they began to speak, the Bible says, the Word of God with boldness. And so God has given us His people A very unique relationship. The first relationship is with Him. We're going to talk about this at the end of the message. You cannot belong to God's church until you first belong to God. You cannot be a part of Jesus' church until you're a part of Jesus. There's steps that have to be taken. We'll get back to that in just a moment. But you see, we entered into this relationship with the church by first entering into the new birth. And while everyone is created by God, not everyone is a child of God. There's a universal invitation for everyone. It's found in 1 John 1.12, As many as have received Him, that's Jesus, to them gave ye the right to be called the children of God, even to those who believe upon His name. And so here in John's epistle, it's all about becoming a member of the family of God. And once you have a relationship with God, you automatically have a relationship with His church, His bride. 
Once you join his family, you join a much larger family, the family of God. You may be a single child and you don't have any siblings, but listen, from a spiritual sense, once you come to know Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord, you inherit by default a whole lot of brothers and sisters. And the Bible calls us a family. First John is all about fellowship and fellowship with God and fellowship with one another. And when we have a right relationship with God, then we have a family, a, a spiritual family. When you have fellowship with God in His church, you have favor in your life. And, and that's what this passage is talking about here today. So please stand in the honor of reading God's Word. First John chapter 1. Let's begin reading in verse number 1. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest, and we have seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. This is Jesus. We'll get back to this in just a moment. Verse 3, that which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you, so that you may have, here's our word, fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship, our koinonia, is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. Verse 5, this is the message we have heard from Him and we proclaim to you that God is light and in Him is no darkness at all. If we say we have, here's our word again, fellowship with Him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have again fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Father, we thank you for your word. Now, God, I ask that you will speak to us from it. For it's in Christ's name we pray and all of God's people said, please be seated. Fellowship is what we experience, what we enjoy as a family, as a faith, as a, a fellowship, one fellowship together. And this unique fellowship of, of the church crosses all lines. Cultural, racial, socioeconomic. The church of Jesus Christ is inclusive to all who come. Doesn't matter what color of skin you have, what dialect you have, the church of Jesus Christ is all inclusive. I believe that all of us can learn something from this. Now we enjoy an amazing fellowship here at Aloma. One of the things that I love about this church is that we are colorblind, we are economically blind, we, we are blind in a lot of areas. We don't see color, we don't see race, we don't see how much money a person has and we, we exalt them and we, we don't see that. We're not distracted or diverted by divisions. We're not weakened by fractures and failures of the fellowship. Rather, we enjoy this sweet and supernatural union and communion in Christ. And, and this is one of the major reasons, I believe, that God blesses this, this church. Because you see, God is looking for congregations. The Lord is looking for a church that loves Jesus where He can place brand new babies, brand new baby Christians. New believers like a, a warm incubator where young Christians can grow up in their faith. And when we are welcoming and when we are a warm congregation, 
receiving new people as well as growing the rest of us up, then we have something extremely amazing. Next hour, I'll be baptizing. It's my honor to baptize four young men, all in the college age level. Two of these young men were saved by the witness of a single person within our church who went to the college and began to share. Then this one of these young men who is literally from the New England states plays baseball at one of our local colleges. He began to share his faith with with another friend. His his other friend winds up getting saved. It's a multiplication effort. Now, why is that? They've been coming to church. They invite their lost friends to church. Their lost friends wind up getting saved. That that just seems amazing to some, but to me, that seems normal. You bring lost people to church, people will get saved. The Holy Spirit of God is here and people will fall under conviction, not because somehow I manipulate or, or the songs manipulate. We're not into manipulation, but the Spirit of God is here. And, and when lost people come for these young men, I think that they came four weeks until they walked down the aisle and said, I need Jesus as my Savior. But you know what they've been talking about? These are young men, men who have never been in church a day in their life. They said, this church is so warm. From the oldest of old to the youngest of young, we, we come and we feel like we're a part of this family already. That is unique. Aloma, that is unique. You understand that this, that that should be normal, but that's not normal when you step into a typical church in this country. We have something extremely amazing here. People are longing for belonging. First John tells us that God is love. And because God is love, you know, love is not love until it's given away. I found a, a verse that uh, was supposed to be written into the sound of music, but it got axed out. But it's so true. It goes like this. I'm not going to sing it to you. I'm sorry, but you'll, you would thank me if you heard me sing. Keith. Don't amen that. But it goes like this. A song is not a song until you sing it. A bell is not a bell until you ring it. And love is not love until you give it. You see, the loving character and nature of God is to give his love. And of course, God gave his love. God demonstrated his love by giving his son. He, he, he created this relationship with him. God reached down to us and Christ came and expressed the love of God and died demonstrating his love. Romans 5.8, that God demonstrated his love for us in while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God established the church, the bride of Christ, the body of Christ. Jesus died for the church. We, we, we read in this passage, the blood of Jesus Christ, God's son, cleanses us from all sin. We are the blood-bought saints, the blood-bought body of Christ. Therefore, there should be some things that are unique about this fellowship. I believe that there are three, and we'll look at them quickly here this morning. First of all, we should take pleasure in this fellowship. That's verse 3. We should take pleasure in this fellowship. The word koinonia, it literally means to share in common. 
Friend, fellowship is not Cokes and cookie after church on Wednesday night. Now, you can have fellowship with cookies. You can have really good fellowship if it's really good cookies. But you may not have fellowship just because you're meeting together. Fellowship is so much more than sitting around a table and and talking. Our fellowship is first of all with Christ. That's what the scripture says. It is, it is in the light of His love in which we've been called out and connected together with Christ. And the Bible says this is a good thing. I know that I'm talking to some who have had some bad church experiences. I have had bad church experiences. But we must remember one thing. That any time people get involved in things, it's going to get messed up, right? Just because, think how, think how preposterous this is in any other area of life. Just because I have a bad experience of something doesn't mean that I should stop doing it. A few weeks ago, I was eating this wonderful juicy steak. I was cutting into it. It was a nice prime steak, medium rare, cutting in, juices going everywhere. I put that first piece of steak in my mouth, and I bite my tongue. Bad experience. Now, do you think that's going to stop me from eating the rest of that steak? Just because I had one bad experience? Last week I made a prediction of the NFL teams that would win. If I were to have said this, thus saith the Lord, I would have been driven out of Florida as a false prophet. Because both of my teams lost. I had a bad experience last Sunday. Now, just because I had a bad experience last Sunday, does that mean I'm not going to watch the Super Bowl? No, of course, I'm going to watch the Super Bowl. Friend, just because someone may have done something to you, said something to you, slighted you in one way or another at some point in your life at church, no doubt it was wrong. No doubt it was hurt. No doubt it hurt you. I could show you scars and tell you stories of things that have happened to me and my wife and my children in church that would make, if you had hair, that would make your hair curl. But listen, we understand that when people get involved, sometimes people who may even claim the name of Christ don't always act the way Christ should. And just because I had a bad experience at some point in my life doesn't mean that I just hang it up and say, I quit it all. No, this is the body of Christ. And as I read the Bible, I understand that I can't do this by myself. I I need others. The church, the local church is only as strong as and only as influential as her weakest member. First John chapter one, verse four says, these things are written that you may have joy. You see, there is to be joy in the fellowship. Yes, you may have a bad experience from time to time. Somebody may say something and it may hurt. But the Bible says that within church, there is to be joy, incredible joy. 
I'm of a firm believer. I, I may be old school in this, but I don't believe that a person should be able to drive by, literally drive by a church and be able to ignore it. I believe that every car that drives down 436 right now looking at this church, they ought to wonder, why are there so many cars in that parking lot? And then when they park their car and, and they, they come in, they ought to be wondering, why, why are there so many smiles on the faces of these people? Why are these people so friendly? Why, why, what's so contagious? What's so infectious here? Why do these people come in early and stay late and not get paid? Why do these people go forward in the invitation and respond to the call of the church? I'm a firm believer that there should be something so irresistible, so magnetic, and that, of course, that thing is someone and his name is Jesus. You see, when we fail to be a Jesus church, all of these other things begin to crumble as well. But when we're a Jesus church, people will see Jesus. When we're a Jesus church, people will come in and they won't see us, but they'll see Jesus in us. They'll hear Jesus in the songs. They'll hear Jesus in the message. And then when the time of response comes, they will respond not to me, not to the music, but they will respond to Jesus. It's a Jesus fellowship. There should be great pleasure in this fellowship. Why would anyone in fellowship with Christ want to miss what God's doing when we get together with Him? And you know this joy, it, it's not just in the good days. This pleasure, the pleasure that we should have in the fellowship, it's not just when we see great successes. It's not just when we see lost people saved that you know, the, the, the Bible talks about fellowship, the fellowship of grace, the, the fellowship of the gospel. The Bible talks about the fellowship of going together in His name. But the Bible also talks about the fellowship of grief. Oftentimes, the New Testament writers call it the fellowship of suffering. And when someone's hurting, when there's painful tears coursing down our faces, that's when the fellowship of suffering begins to move in. It's no doubt the deepest level of fellowship that we are. As Christ said, bearing one another's burdens and so fulfilling the law of Christ. You see, that's why it's so important to be a part of a fellowship. Why it's so important to be involved in a a small group, a life group, where you do life together, where you fellowship together. Not just for the good days, but also for those hard days, those painful days. Because you see, fellowship transcends feelings. Fellowship transcends the time. Fellowship is there in the good times and in the bad times. Fellowship is there with the smiles and also there with the tears. You see, but there's always that pleasure of fellowship because our fellowship is with others and with Christ. Number two, we see the priority of this fellowship. And it's very clear, isn't it? What brings us together? Again, verse three. 
That which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, he says, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. There is a priority to this fellowship. What is that priority? What brings us together? There's many things that bring us together. But the one thing that brings us together, we belong because we believe. We belong because we believe. The only way you can belong to Jesus' church is to have Jesus in you. And when you have Jesus in you, and the Jesus in me will love the Jesus in you. And the Jesus in you will love the Jesus in me. Now, there may be times I say something that rubs you the wrong way. There may be times that you do something that rubs me the wrong way. But at the end of the day, if I have Jesus in me and you have Jesus in you, the Jesus in me will love the Jesus in you and vice versa. I heard about a fellow, he went off to the army. He was dating this girl and he was so scared that if I go away to the army, I'm going to lose her. He was dating her, he loved her, he wanted to marry her, but he just wasn't ready to make that commitment. And so he went to the army and he, he, he began to, as he was, as he was going, he was on the bus on the way to basic training, he began to think, you know, I've got to do something to make sure that I keep myself in front of, of my girlfriend all the time. So you know what he did? He wrote a letter to her every single day, 365 days that year. He wrote a letter to, to, in, in order so he would not lose the love of his life, his girlfriend. He wrote her every single day. You know what happened? She ended up marrying the mailman. <laughs> now you gotta be there. You gotta be present. I know that in church we, we make it so easy. I was reading an article just this past week as to trying to explain why because what we're seeing in Florida is not just in Florida, but it's all across the country. It's it's really bad in Florida where now the typical church member attends only once a month. It's not that bad in the Bible Belt, but it's getting there. The trend uh, normally begins in places like Florida and California, then it begins to transcend into the rest of the country. But I, I was reading... And they were, they were trying to offer suggestions as to what's going on and what's causing this. And, and some of them were saying that it's the church's fault, that we've made it so easy for people to stay at home and watch the internet and watch, 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 watch the, watch church online or watch church on TV. I'm not opposed to that. I, I believe that we should be offering that and we should be able to minister to people. Uh, one of the two of the young men that we're baptizing the second hour uh, are from the Northeast. Their family can't be down here, so their family is actually going to be, for the first time, watching a Christian service online in their home, and I pray that they'll receive Christ as their Savior and Lord. You know, it's not a bad thing, but sometimes the devil can take those good things and make them bad. And we can get into our mind that, that, oh, I don't have to show up. I don't have to be there. You've got to show up. You've got to show love and you've got to give love. And that's, that's why they say that 90% of success is just showing up. 90% of success is just showing up. You say, no, pastor, what do you want from me? We're all here. What are you asking me to do? Here's what I'm asking from the church. I want you to be faithful. 
I want you to be faithful in showing up and giving and growing within the family of faith. Everyone in this room probably knows John 3.16. If you don't, shame on you, because that was our Bible verse this past week. The Bible verses, you say, what Bible verses? The Bible verses that we're memorizing, remember, as a church. I'm using this as a plug. If you haven't got this, it's on Facebook, it's on our, uh, get your iPhone, or I guess we should rename that our Wii phone, get your Wii phone. Get your Wii phone and download the Wii app of Aloma Church, and there you'll find your, your daily Bible memory verses. John 3.16, I would say that all of us know John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. But how many of us know 1 John 3.16? Probably not as many. But I want you to look at it. Turn over with me to 1 John 3.16. This is another great 3.16 passage from John. By this we know love, because he laid down his life for us. And we ought to also lay down our lives for the brothers. Turn a chapter to chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4 and look at verse 20. He says, if anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. This is straight from Jesus. John said that that he who loves God must love his brother also. So friend, be very, very, very careful about saying, well, I love Jesus, but I don't give a rip about the church. You know, that's a growing phenomenon now. I hear it all the time. I can love Jesus, but I can hate the church. Friend, no, you can't, according to 1 John chapter 4, verse 20. If you love Jesus, then you must love his people. If you love Jesus, you must love the people that Jesus loves. The bottom line is that if you love him, you're going to love the people that he loves. And I observe this. I have observed this as a pastor Over many years, one of the first symptoms of spiritual decline within a church and one of the first uh, examples of spiritual decline within an individual, one of the first examples of defeat is when we begin to miss services. We begin to check out a church and we show up when we feel like it and we begin to have inconsistent attendance. We put ourselves vulnerable. We put ourselves into a vulnerable spot. I see it all the time. I see it with students. I see it with adults. Sometimes it happens adults in in, in the middle of life. You know, the kids are gone. We've done the church thing with the kids. And so now, you know, we, we don't really feel that we need to be that involved in church. We did our part. We did our job. We, we raised our kids in church. You know, Pastor, we, we've got our lake house, we, we've got the golf course, we, we have trips and we want to take, and, we, and so people go here and there and everywhere, disconnected from the church, disconnected from the fellowship of God's people. And the first thing you know, there's going to be trouble. You say, Pastor, are you preaching church entity? Absolutely not. I'm preaching Christianity. You cannot be effective in your Christian walk, when you separate yourself from the bride of Christ. One final word, and that's the purpose of this fellowship. 
John talks here about the difference between light and darkness. Again, this is verse 7 if you're taking notes. If you're walking in the light, you have fellowship with God. If you're walking in the darkness, you don't. It's plain and simple. It's black and white. I know in our country you can't turn on the news without hearing all of the gray stuff in between. The neat thing about God, the, one, the, the thing I love about his word, and the thing I love about God, God created me to see right and wrong, black and white, yes or no. And that's exactly how God is. It's either light or dark. You're either in or you ain't. For those of you who are not from Flor- or not from the, the, the South, ain't, that means you're not. He, he talks here about this purpose, the purpose, this unique love. You know, I called this the, the purpose of the fellowship, but it could just as be easily called the plan for fellowship. The purpose or the plan. Why this fellowship? Why this body? We sing about it. I love that song we sang, that we will dance on the streets of glory. The bride of Christ, the great son of the Lamb. Why the church? So many people are so confused about the church today. I was talking to a young man. He may be here, I don't know. I was talking to a young man a few weeks ago in a restaurant. Began to talk to him about the fellowship, began to talk to him about the church. His response was, I'm Catholic. Okay, I I didn't ask you if you were Catholic or not. Do you go to church? Well, I'm a part of the church, and so... What, how, how do you think that you're going to be saved? Well, I'm saved because I belong to the church. Called it by name, I said, I had my, my Wii phone. I didn't have my Bible, I had my Wii phone. I pulled up my Wii phone, I hit my, my Wii app, my church app, my, my Bible app, and I began to show him. I said, you know, salvation... Is it doesn't come through the church. Your first relationship is not with the church. Your first relationship must be a deeper, more spiritual relationship. Before you can truly belong to a church, you must belong to God. Before you can step into and be a part of the church, the, 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 this is the light and the darkness that John's talking about. This is, this is what he's referring to here in 1 John chapter 1. These things that we have seen with our eyes, we've looked upon and touched This life was made manifest, and we've seen it, testified to it, and proclaimed to you eternal life. Eternal life. Not just life. You see, life is eternal. The Bible teaches eternal life. That, that, you know, the world says that you better live it up for today because tomorrow you may die and then it's, it's done. But there's still always going to be a tomorrow. You, you understand that, right? The sun will always come up. Tomorrow. Tomorrow is always going to be inevitable for every single person. Now, you may be transitioned out of this life, but you will always have a tomorrow. And he talks about eternal life. Can I share with you a little bit about eternal life 
in this the few moments we have left. Because we've been talking about this fellowship of believers. What brings this church together? Why is it that we're not at each other's throats? Why is it that, that every Monday I don't receive emails about, Preacher, I don't like that song, or I didn't like that tie, or I'm, I wish you would wear a tie. You know, I, what, what, what in the world, what, why is it, why is it that, that you, may, you may want me to wear a tie? I wear a tie sometimes, sometimes I don't. Today I, I woke up, I just said, today doesn't feel like a tie day. But you know, you may prefer me to wear a tie. But you know what? We can still love each other despite it. We can hold hands, we can hug necks, we can love each other despite it. Why is that? Why is it that, that sometimes you may say something hurtful to me or I may say something hurtful to you, but, but we don't just give up and walk away? Why, why is it? What is it that brings us together? Why is it? What is it that, that when we, that, that this fellowship that it brings us closer through hard times and through pain? What, what is it that does that? It's not really a what, but it's a who. His name is Jesus. The Jesus in me loves the Jesus in you, and the Jesus in you loves the Jesus in me. And that's why we have the fellowship. But you see, in order for us to have this fellowship, in order for us to have this church, Jesus must be in me, and Jesus must be in you. Now, how does Jesus get in you? You see, that's eternal life. It's not about going to church. It's not about putting money in an offering plate. It's not even being about reading the Bible or, or memorizing Scripture or having a quiet time. That does not get you eternal life. In fact, in John's gospel, John chapter 3, a preacher came to Jesus and said, what must a man do to be saved? Here's a man who knew the Bible better than any of us, probably all of us in this building combined. He knew the Bible backward and forward. He taught it. He memorized it. He had, Nicodemus had the Old Testament. A prophet, a priest at that time would have had the Old Testament memorized. Here's a man who knew Genesis 1 all the way to the very end. And he comes to Jesus and he asks the most basic, simple question, but the most important question a person can ever ask. What must a man do to be saved? In other words, what must a man do to have this thing that John here calls eternal life? Eternal life with God. Jesus said, Nicodemus, you must be born again. In order to have eternal life, you must be born again. That made no sense to Nicodemus. Nicodemus said, how can I be born again? I, I, I'm, I bor- I'm born of water. I'm born of my mother. Jesus said, it's not enough to be born of water. It's not enough to be born of a woman. But we're all born from our mothers. But you must be born again through the Spirit of God. The Bible says, we've already said, Romans 5, 8, that God demonstrated his love for us. And while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. In my sin and your sin, God looked down. And despite that sin, God sent his son into this world. He was born a baby. We just celebrated at Christmas. Born as a baby in a manger. He grew up. He never knew any sin. He grew up. He lived a perfect life. He performed many miracles. He taught the word of God. Many people began to follow him, but in the last days, everybody deserted him. And there on that cross, when Jesus was crucified, he became sin. 
He took on the sin of the world. He put to death our sin. And the Bible says that all you have to do, all we have to do, there's nothing that we can do to earn salvation. There's nothing we can do to earn eternal life. All we can do is trust it by faith. By grace you've been saved through faith. This thought of works, lest any man should boast, Paul writes in Ephesians. We can't earn salvation. The work has already been done. Jesus died on that cross. His body, his lifeless body was placed in that tomb three days later. God said, this is good enough. And he breathed life into Jesus. He raised him from the dead, showing that he conquered sin. He conquered death. He conquered hell. He conquered the grave. Now, dear friend, I'm not asking if you've prayed a prayer in your life. I'm not asking you if you have walked down an aisle in your life. I'm asking you to search your heart and ask yourself this question. Does Jesus live in my life? Does the Holy Spirit take residence in my life? The only way the Holy Spirit of God can come into your life is not through praying a prayer, not by reading the Bible, but by trusting by faith of what Christ has done for you. Has there been a moment in your life when you prayed and invited Christ to come into your life and thus you were saved? You may not remember what you said. That's okay. You may not even remember what you were wearing. That's okay as well. But has there been a time in your life when you were walking in sin, walking in darkness, and God showed a great light, you realized that you were culpable for your sin. You were responsible for your sin before Almighty God. You may have been a four- or five-year-old child. You may have been like me and, and at 17 years old in, in, in high school. Maybe you were an adult. But has there been a moment in your life when you realized and understood you were a sinner and you gave your life to the Savior? If you haven't done that, you're not a part of this church. Your, may, your name may be on the roll, but you're not a part of this church because you're not a part of the Jesus church. Because in part, to be a part of the Jesus church, you've got to first have a relationship with him.